Hi, Jeff. How you doing, Mike? All right. So uh, what have you been up to this summer since we last spoke? Making pictures, as usual, and uh, just a lot of books coming through the door. Um, Anything of uh, particular interest you've been looking at? Are these books that you will eventually review? Possibly. I mean, I usually get a lot of things, and then I pitch reviews to different sources and see what see what sticks. But there's a, South, a book from South Africa that came through, Jason Larkin's Waiting, from uh, PhotoWorks and uh, Four Walls books, I think, um, which is really interesting. People waiting in bus stations, uh, sometimes for hours and hours, in Johannesburg. Uh, Mark Ruedel's couple of his books, Pictures of Hell. I don't know if you're familiar with this book. It's really wonderful. No, it sounds really interesting. Yeah. Quite traditional work, but he's uh, you know, a kind of later career artist who's really become quite popular. He just won a bunch of awards in the Scotiabank Award. But what else? Like weird uh, paper airplanes. <laughs> this guy that made uh, reconstructed old planes that never really existed. They were always in the planning stages. But super interesting. I mean, that's from FW Books. I can't remember the artist's name because he's, it's like skewered something. Okay. Well, you know what? Um, if some of these books do get reviewed and all, I, I'm sure we'll find them attached to some links on your website, right? Yeah. Or I'll just, I'll just make a list of interesting stuff. Oh, well, when you get to it, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll put it up on the, on the website. But in this episode, I accused you of stealing. That came from our mutual friend, Preston Resigno. Is that what the rumor is going around? I was wondering if like Preston was like, ask Jeff about his, his former library, American Monument. I mean, I lived with the guy for two years. I th maybe oh. he thought when you came home with it that you had sort of checked it out and never returned it. I don't know. Maybe I told him it was a steal because I remember it <laughs> That would be hysterical if you told him it was a steal and he thought he said, I stole it. But it, had, it did have legitimate... Uh, uh, discard stamps, which I could never get, I could never remove. I tried to erase the the library stamp mm -hmm. that was in it, but none of that would come out over the discard stamps. Oh, right. <laughs> well, back then it, it had a checkout card and a little envelope pocket, right? It had a checkout right? card, yeah. But, you know, you could remove the pages of that book because it was the screw post. Oh, thing. right. Well, thanks again. So, yeah. Yep. And uh, we'll talk soon. All right, my friend. Bye. Ciao. Yeah, it's been a. I can't. I was trying to think of the last time I saw you. I and could, could it have been as far back as like Joe Lawton's? opening at Fordham I mean yeah it's been a very long time <laughs> I mean that would put it at like six years or more I guess even longer than that but right yeah no I I think I think the most we've done in the past six years is email each other yeah 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 from the oh you know you're in Jersey so. <laughs> and you're all the way in Germany yeah <laughs> so actually let's um let's start there so uh, I'm with Jeff Ladd, who is... Do you prefer Jeff still, right? Not, and, or Jeffrey? Yeah. I, see, I see your name both ways. I, yeah, it could be either way. Jeff is fine. Okay. We are speaking over the internet. We're on uh, Skype. So the, uh, I apologize for some of the sound quality, but actually you're coming through loud and clear. Great. 
Jeff, you have had quite a, a long set of accomplishments since last we've spoke. Um, you've worked on a number of really interesting and very popular projects, um, a lot uh, mostly to do with bringing books back and, and reviewing mm-hmm. books. And, and I remember your interest in photography books going all the way back to the School of Visual Arts when I first met you. Right, yeah. Uh, I rem- <laughs> I don't know if you want to admit to this. I think I remember you pilfering a couple books from a library once. <laughs> what? No, I don't know about this. I don't know from which library. Uh, didn't you find a, a Lee Freelander monuments once in a, a library? I got it at a library sale. Oh, that's what it was. I, our, okay, yeah, I have it. <laughs> our mutual <laughs> Look, friend. I've done Preston. a lot of questionable things in my life, Michael. Uh, pilfering from libraries. I haven't quite stooped to. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Just for the record. Good. Good. We've cleared. No, that I found up. I found some incredible books at different library sales. At you know. Winogrand books, even at the New York Public Library, when they, you know, they discard books. Isn't that crazy? Right. I think, you know, they're completely read and damaged and but just for readers copies, they're it's great. Do you think the era of people not knowing what they have is gone when it comes to things like photography books? I, you know, with the with the Internet and how quickly information is out there. Certainly, even people that are outside the photo world, like, for instance, we mentioned Lee Friedlander, his Cray at Chippewa Falls, the company book that he did for the computer company. Like, I see those posted on eBay, and they're not by booksellers, they're by people that got them as gifts. Mm. Like people at Chippewa Falls see, uh, they hear somehow, oh, this book is worth, you know, 200 bucks or something. <laughs> right. And all the power to them to, to get it. Sure. You know. Absolutely. Let's let's go over some of the things that you've been doing. Um, Errata Books, uh, Errata Editions, right? Uh, yeah, was founded by you and also by uh, yeah Ed Grazda and Valerie Sonnenthal. Right. Um, it, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, it really started as a an idea that I had and about studies of rare and out of print photo books. Uh, it, the series is called the Books on Books series, which is really pretty, it's an odd concept, but it really made sense in terms of studying rare stuff that you can't really, uh, you can't access. And that was the goal, right? The goal was to bring back rare uh, out-of-print books and make them accessible for not just to enjoy, but to also study and to remember. Well, they were specific in my, in my mind, the perfect reader was students, um, and this all came about because I would go to gallery openings and I would meet people like Chris Killip or William Klein and I was meeting a lot of famous photographers and just in casual conversation I would ask them like why don't you reprint your you know life is good and good for you in New mm. York William and I kept getting this answer of people saying like I'll never reprint that book like people actually a lot of photographers seem to not like their early books I think it's that part of that creative process where you're done with something and you don't want to revisit. And it seemed everyone kind of has this impression that the stuff is out there just to be reprinted. But often, you know, because it's copyrighted material, a lot of artists like Ed Ruscha, I talked to Ed Ruscha and I said, you know, hey, it would be really great to do a couple of your books. And, you know, he he always said, you know, I did those books in the 60s and, and 70s and I 
you know, I'm kind of done with it. But then he also threw in the little caveat at the end. He said, you know, but maybe someday. <laughs> you know? So, but yeah, a lot of people don't like to reprint things. So my idea was to create a series of books that are not reprints. Right. A lot of people call them reprints, but they're not. They're studies of books, but they show you the whole content just in a reduced size. You can actually like, see edges of pages and, and yeah, bindings and to, things. It's meant to show it as the book um, because the book is what's important. It's it, in a way, you know, one says the photography is the most important and certainly that's one element, but it's also design, it's sequencing. And when you look at other reference books like the Martin Parr, Jerry Badger photo history books, they show you one or two spreads but you can't really get an idea of whether it's something that's interesting. It's kind of like trying to understand a great piece of music by staring just at the record jacket, you know. Listening to that little clip on uh, iTunes or yeah, something. Yeah, just or, like right. a two-note two, two, two note thing. And, you know, photo books are very subjective. They mean different things to different people. Uh, some are more important, obviously. So, um, in my mind, it's always best to see the whole content when possible. Um, and we've done 19 books hmm. and, you know, they sell well, but we're always struggling to get money to put out the next books. And uh, I explored doing something online. I thought maybe if there could be like a some repository of photo books or something like, a, you know, like a Library of Congress style archive. But again, a lot of artists are not into their things being online. Hmm. Like about downloadable PDFs or ebooks and things like this. Yeah, it's still the same stumbling blocks with doing reprints. Well, and the ones uh, you, the ones you've done are beautiful, and and so you've gotten some cooperation from that, which is great. Yeah, I mean we, I mean we we try and I have really a really great production person named Robert Hennessy who did Freelander's early books. He's as far as ink on paper and and the current technologies with ink on paper. He's one of the five really great people in the world that does this. So he's the integral part of kind of translating what we're doing into into print. All right. So Errata Books is is still active. You're still involved. Yeah. Well, we last year we finally got 501c3 status, which is means we're a non for profit corporation. And the reason why we were looking into that is just trying to find different strategies to fund the books. Like now, uh, we've, we've always had people that wanted to kind of donate to us to help fund the books, but uh, this way they get a tax deduction from it. So it's a kind of win-win situation both of it, for both, of, both parties. And we can approach uh, other foundations, like the Warhol Foundation and other things that are interested in, in print, uh, print projects, book projects. So right now we're in this kind of fundraising uh, area, which is not not very fun. <laughs> you know, but, is it uh, mostly just reaching out to um, to donors and? It's like reaching that? out to everyone that mm -hmm. might be interested in the project. And I'm lining up. We're lining up new books. I'm also possibly lining up some actual reprints, like some facsimiles when we can. Oh, nice. Um, and do something like they would be a little bit more collectors' items, but we would set you know, a 200 copies or so. The idea is to set a certain amount of the print run aside that we would then donate for free to schools and libraries. Oh, that's great. 
That's a good idea. Because that's something that we're doing now with the 19 books that we have and the ones that are still in print, because a couple have actually gone out of print and we have to do a second printing. You have own a um, reprint of the edition. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. Uh, so also what I, I noticed is you're doing a lot of writing, or you have been doing a lot of writing. Uh, currently, you you write for Time Magazine's Lightbox, and you do book reviews? I, occasionally. The work with them is slowing up. They have a, They now... Uh, have a full-time editor hmm. who is picking up a lot of the outside work. Um, the original editor that I was working with is Phil Bicker and Paul Moakley, and they, I, I'd known Phil Bicker back from when he worked at The Fader, which is a music kind of culture magazine, and I had shot some assignments for them. And uh, he was always interested in photo books. He's like a photo book guy. But in The Fader, they actually ran an article about my old blog, my old photo book blog, which is how... The 5x4, was it? 5B4. 5B4, right. It's a little bit of a cryptic title, but uh, (laughs) everyone thinks it's 4x5 or 5x4 or, you know... Well, you didn't make it easier because you replaced it with 40x50, I think, right? Yeah, (laughs) well then, so now it's 4B5. Yeah, it's reversed. (laughs) Well, I'll I'll post... um, Arata Editions, links to Arata Editions, links to uh, 4B5 as well. on the on my blog when we post this uh, podcast as well. And as well as your website, jeffreylad.com, which I want to get to as well. There's so much great work on that website too. So your work with that uh, Time Magazine is, is slowing down, but you, you still do quite a bit of writing on your blogs or your blog. Right? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm, there are times when I'm really, really inspired and I'll do three or four books I can you know I can usually quickly which is weird because I've never written before before I did the blog I had never like if you asked me to write an artist statement I wouldn't be able to do it (laughs) but yeah I mean I write for some European magazines now and uh, you know with it with online it's so easy to reach out to people but mostly, I'm looking for paying work, like to get right. yes, <laughs> to get a little bit of uh, in, income from writing. Well, I, I encourage people to to read your blog because I find the the writing very eloquent and thanks. And I, yeah. You know, my parents who, you know, I almost failed my senior year in high school, so <laughs> my parents were always reminded me of that. Like, why weren't you doing this in high school? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, sometimes it takes a while. (laughs) Yeah, I had just found this one thing that I, um, you know, I look at books a lot and I have my own interpretations of books and what I like about them. And I was able to find a find the words to describe that. Sometimes I'm really active and then sometimes I drop off the map for two or three months when, you know, I'm just busy with other things. Well, I believe recently uh, you've become a father. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah, we're we're I'm. My daughters and I are 20 months into <laughs> um, fatherhood. So how has that affected, um, you know, the, the, the work you do and the schedule you keep? And Yeah, I mean, truthfully, the first five months were com- was a complete nightmare. Sure. Because, um, I mean, the no sleep thing, yes. and all of that, except with twins it's kind of like double the work on like even half the sleep that you normal get and you normally would get but it's funny because all all my friends were like oh well there goes your photography there goes all your free time you know it, but once we figured out that they sleep really well in the stroller mm-hmm. and 
you know, they were sleeping, you know, when they're young, they sleep every few hours. So I was just volunteering for stroller duty. Right. And I'd go out. <laughs> and it actually became after that first five months, after that hump, it was, I've actually had an incredibly productive year and a half. It's That's great. It's very surprising. And I'm glad because if you talk to my wife, I'm a nightmare. I'm a difficult person, but I'm a nightmare <laughs> to be around if I'm not feeling like I'm still engaging in photography. Oh, I think we're all a little bit like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I remember when um, my son, who's now going, he's going to be eight very soon, when he was, uh, he was one, uh, get, getting close to one, I would carry him around in one of those... Um, Baby Bjorns, right? Yeah. And and I had almost rest the camera on top of his head while I was walking around right. photographing. Uh, but yes, I I have two kids. Uh, they're I don't have uh, twins, but I always say that um, having two children isn't really double the work. It sort of exponentially grows <laughs> for yeah. one child, I think. But that's great. So you you know you find a schedule and you figure out how to do it. Yeah, I mean I'm blessed in that my wife has a good job. So, but we're both stay at home. You know, in Germany, the laws are very different. Germany's, I don't know if this is interesting for the interview or not, but the, <laughs> sure. Germany's on a population decline. So they encourage people to have kids. I've heard that. Just, I've heard that. Yeah. My wife has taken, she's now in her second year off. You know, she's been out of work for 20 months. The first year we're paid, you get 60% of your income. Yeah. And you get what's called Elterngeld which is parent money on top of that. And then the kids get money every month until they're 18. So wow. it's <laughs> a yeah, little different I mean, from I the States. I don't really have a job right now. <laughs> I do these little bits and pieces and I, you know, I get a little money here, a little money there. Uh, but mainly I, I would not be in this position in the United States. I would be heavily in debt and sure. No, no. Maternity leave here is shorter unpaid um, yeah. and and then you know you're scrambling around looking for a good uh, daycare very early on if if you're both working yeah or if you're single yeah. and working right yeah yeah very different um so you on your uh, your blog the it comes up as um 40 by 50 but it's actually you actually call it 4b5 yeah i mean i 40 by 50 is a website i started to sell prints and books mm -hmm. And within that, I have an ongoing photo book blog, kind of like what I did with my five before. But that was just a blog. Like, I didn't really sell anything on that. And this is, I started this website just to keep me, to get a little income, just to keep me in film, paper, chemistry, and make my work pay for itself. So I chose, I never print 11 by 14, but I figured I would sell inexpensive 11 by 14 prints. And they're in editions of 50, and they're $40. Do you know Jen Beckman Gallery? Uh, no, I don't. It's a small gallery down in Soho, and it's, a, it's a, literally the size of a shoebox. And she had started this thing called 20 by 200, where she sells very inexpensive photography. But you could buy like a William Wegman print for $40. Wow. Um, you know, inkjet style. Mm -hmm. But it became really popular, so... I have boxes of prints. Prints aren't really very, I don't know the word, I'm looking precious. You know, I'm a printer by trade. I like, I go in the dark room and I can knock out prints in 10 minutes, you know. So I thought, you know, instead of waiting for the work to accrue in value or something like that, make it pay for itself. 
and, and and created in in volume yeah well to you know basically just sell inexpensive prints so that i can just keep photographing right but you still do write on that website as well yeah occasionally like yeah. i said i go through these like you know black spots where i'll just fall off the radar for you know I think the last time I posted on that, it's been a couple months now, but I have got a stack of books to review. The thing about being a book reviewer is you can ask publishers for books. And as long as you, you know, routinely do, do it put for out, real, right? <laughs> yeah. That you routinely put out articles. Uh, so, in a way, it's also a, a way for me to get interesting books that I, you know, first would be inspired to write about, but also that I want from, for me. Yeah, you know, that's nice. and I don't, you know, I don't have to pay sixty dollars each for them. So we're, uh, I'm looking at you now on the computer on Skype, and you're in your dark room. Yes. Yeah, this is my like man cave dark <laughs> room. Oh, uh, you're giving me a tour. <laughs> yeah, just a quick. There's not much. Don't blink. You know, that's <laughs> the wet side, and then I have this little area with my dry mount press. And nice. This was a former wash room. And that's actually an old German washing machine. Oh, look at that. That's great. It's, it's cement, and it's built into the floor. It's, <laughs> it's pretty incredible. Is that a, 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 in an attic space? Yeah. The ceiling slopes down on the one side right. of the room, you see. That's a skylight. That's great. There. And basically, the room next door, which is unfinished, I painted this and sealed it up so that it was relatively dust-free. Right. But the space next door is where people hang their laundry. Mm -hmm. And this is completely self-contained, but in the other side, it's it's completely raw. Like you see the shingles of the roof under the beams, and it's really dusty. And so one of the um, one of the books you did recommend for Time Magazine was uh, Thomas Roma and his son Giancarlo's Waters of Our Time. Mm -hmm. uh, I think last year, right? As a, it was one of the your ten best, was it spring summer books? Yeah, I put. I was asked to do a couple lists, and and that made it on. I think it's a wonderful little book. Yeah, and and that um, you know Tom Roma is someone that that we both know and and, and have in common in a sense. But it takes us uh, kind of back to where you started, or maybe even before then. That's what I want to talk about: is how did you get started in photography? <laughs> it's I kind of stumbled into photography like throughout my adolescence and in high school years. I was really only consumed with two things, like skateboarding. I, I remember that. Did. I yeah, I was I, like I do remember that. All I was interested in was skating and music, and the music was all punk and hardcore <laughs> stuff. And what's weird about the punk and hardcore is that on the walls of my even though I hadn't I knew nothing about photography, on the walls of my room, do you know what punk flyers are? These gig flyers sure, that are sure. upcoming shows. Well, I had Dan Arbus pictures and Robert Frank and William Klein and any number of great photojournalists on my walls. It was just cut and paste from punk flyers. Right, right. The people that made the flyers would go into probably, I don't know how many great photo books were sacrificed, but <laughs> they would use a, a weird Cartier-Bresson picture and then it would have the band names and things on top of it. So I had this stuff all over my walls. I couldn't tell you who the people were, but but when I graduated high school, I had no clue as to what I wanted to do. My grades were atrocious. <laughs> and so that's that limits your college possibilities. Sure. I was basically I was working in a skateboard shop two days a week. And that's as ambitious as I was. I had a girlfriend though who 
went immediately to New York. You know, I, I remember her. I just remember her nickname, Rat, was it? was Sue. Sue. Um, I, I don't know about a nickname, but... <laughs> yeah, we used to all call, like, called her Rat. Yeah. yeah, she was amazing. She moved to New York and she started studying art at SVA. So I would drive up and hang out with her for a couple days, you know, a couple times a month. I think that I think I met you through her. I think I knew her first. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think she lived in the dorms at the School of Visual Arts. Yeah. Well, we were all in Sloan House. When I finally yeah. went up to school, we were in Sloan House. But she basically got me into photography. I mean, if I think about how I got into it, all the like the variables are so tenuous. If I didn't know Sue, I wouldn't be talking to you. Mm-hmm. Like there's so many things. If my parents hadn't moved from Arizona to New Jersey, I wouldn't have, you know. Sure. So that all, that whole part of my history is pretty frightening to me. But <laughs> she encouraged me to start taking pictures. And so I took pictures at punk shows and hardcore shows because we'd always go see music. And then it was interesting to me and I wanted to learn a little bit more. So I took a night class at Burlington County College, which is down in southern New Jersey. And I just... I. I found the dark room and I was home. It was the dark, actually the process of photography in the dark room was a lot more interesting to me at that moment than taking pictures in a weird way. It's like getting everything backwards. <laughs> yeah, I loved the dark room for some reason. It wasn't, you know, everyone describes it as being magical. To me, it wasn't magical. It was just cool. It was interesting. And so after that class, um, well, so that, so you you graduated high school, but then you took some night classes at Burlington. This is this yeah, was before. I took one night class. Okay, before and, school uh, visual arts. Yeah, that's before SVA, and because of my teacher at that Burlington County College night course and Sue, I was taking pictures of my family and some punk shows and stuff, and that my teacher was super enthusiastic about it. I wish I could remember her name because I'd love to know where she is now, but. She knew that my girlfriend was going to SVA, so, and she said, you know, well, why don't you go to Art Institute of Philadelphia or SVA? And I would, always thought I would never get accepted because my high school record was so bad. But after a while, with both of these people encouraging me, I was like, okay, I'll try for SVA. So I filled out the application, and I went and did the interview with Alice Beckadet. Sure. And uh, she accepted me on the spot. It was, um, you know, I remember her kind of even telling me, oh, his portfolio was so great. And I, <laughs> it's funny to me because the pictures were shit. And she, <laughs> she's just being super nice. But I think SBA, they just take, they take everyone undergrad. <laughs> I think they say that to everybody. <laughs> For, um, I, I actually just learned um, Alice Beckerdet passed away, I think, a, a couple years ago, or if not more recently. Okay. Uh, I learned that from the chair, uh, Stephen Fraley. Oh, He's okay. now chair of the program. Yeah. So, but yes, we all we all knew Alice Beckerdet when uh, when we were there. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that yeah. So you did you come in as a you must have come in as a first year student then. I came in as a, as a yeah. My foundation year was the fall of 1987, and I had uh, Helen Butfield was my main foundation yes. year teacher. You knew Helen, right? And then after that, I had Joe Lawton my mm. second year and then third year was of course Tom Tom Roma right and then fourth year was Lois Connor yes and then Lois got some grant so she she went on sabbatical she took time off oh that's interesting and, uh, uh, Anibal and I were talking and we had Lois as well 
but she was traveling at this at the first half of the year. We had somebody else that uh, nobody uh, got along with. And we <laughs> okay, we had a woman named Jane Axelrod who was who was nice and mm. she was she was great, but she wasn't Lois. Like we like Lois is brilliant. <laughs> that's not to say that you know Jane wasn't, but mm-hmm. Jane was a student of Lois's, so it was like oh okay, you know. Right, getting replaced with a step down, but it was a, it was a great progression of people from year to year because Helen was a great motivator, Joe was a yes. great motivator, but got you talking about photography, and then there's Tom who just cut you down to size. So um, let's talk a, a little bit about your work because there's like I said, there's some great work on your website. Um, okay. Are you currently working on the the project called Awful German Language? Yeah, I mean I'm working on a couple things, but that's that's been the main uh, body of work. That's for a the great past. title, and and really I, I I read it. Well, you know, I'm lifting it from Mark Twain. Yes, I, I read that. It's it's coming from a, a Mark Twain essay. Yeah, Mark Twain essay written in the late 1800s, and basically, when I I fell in love with a woman in Germany, I had been traveling to Cologne because of the Errata books, because there's a really interesting art book culture here in Cologne and some photo book festivals in Kessel, which is nearby, but I had good friends here. And I fell in love with Stephanie, my wife. I decided to move from New York. And when I got here, of course, I had to start taking language courses. So I was taking these courses every day for four hours a day. And I'm not good with language, (laughs) even though I can write in English a, a bit. Learning a foreign language is a nightmare. In Germany, uh, German is an extremely difficult language. And I've discovered this Twain essay, but also it grew out of my, the way it influenced having these language courses just influenced the way I was moving through the world because all of a sudden I'm looking at objects, I'm looking at everything, and I'm trying to figure out what the German translation of the word is. Like, you know, from a tree to baum. But then in German, there's also this article that proceeds which dictates gender like a tree might be male (laughs) or female it's not just it okay right a young girl is an it where a turnip is a she so very strange yeah my language instructor always said kein article kein deutsch which, which means no article if you don't know the article you can't really speak german because it influences the adjective endings and all of this other stuff so I'm going through the world, not only trying to make the translation of something, but also try and remember its article because there's no real system to determine articles. There's there's a few rules here, but with German, every rule has many exceptions. And so, so that's that's the foundation of this project. That's, that's the foundation of the way it influenced me moving through the world and kind of looking at stuff. Mm. Um, I was trying to, when I first got here, I was trying to photograph in different neighborhoods around Cologne just to learn my way around. But the language course started me photographing nouns, what I called the photographic equivalent of nouns, things. And it's ongoing. We'll I, see. I read that on your site. You, in a way, um, photographing nouns as opposed to photographing verbs. And I think that's a such a beautiful way of describing photographs that have that sort of neutral kind of description about them, mm-hmm. right? This very observational, the way Robert Adams would work was part of new topographics and mm-hmm. that sort of vein of photography. And so there's yeah, this yeah. sort of emotional neutrality to the photographs of this project. And I think, I love the way you described it as as nouns instead of verbs. 
Yeah. Well, I felt a lot of the work that I had been doing in New York, which, you know, for lack of a better term, was working in the streets, what people would call street photography. Although my pictures are quite static in their own kind of sensibility, but mm -hmm. uh, I always felt that they were a little bit more like verbs. They were kind of describing small, subtle actions of things. And in Germany, you know, I think like I'm doing the neighborhood project, I became interested in architecture for the first time in my work where buildings and houses kind of took the main stage and weren't just a second or third act. I'm, I'm going pictures. to butcher this. Is that the Nachbarschaften project? Nachbarschaften, yeah, Nachbarschaften, which just means neighborhoods. That's a very interesting project because um, the, the way you describe it, it's, it's, it's photographing architecture, but also in a way that possibly reveals the survival of the neighborhood is this sort of post-World War II, you know, the, from the massive bombings, the, the way the yeah. neighborhood has kind of rebuilt itself? Yeah. I mean, basically, Cologne after World War II, the, uh, the Royal Air Force dropped, I forget what the number is, is like 30, 37,000 tons of bombs just on Cologne because it was a military center. And 95% of the buildings and population, most of the population were evacuated, but most of Cologne was destroyed. In fact, very, there's very few original buildings. So you have this kind of, it's not a pretty city in its way, um, mm. because it's just like 1950s architecture, late 1940s, 1950s, which can be interesting, but a lot of them are just these kind of plain facade apartment buildings. And then what are these little other neighborhoods that were for workers, in the city, so you have all these houses that look exactly alike. They just might be mirror image of one another. But I wasn't interested in really, the, you know, photographing every type of architecture or anything. There's a very strong German tradition of these typologies and the Bescher School. I was looking at individual situations, individual pictures, things that the strength of the picture is kind of more important than the than you know, getting every little bit of architecture, finding every different style of architecture. Where do you see um, some of this work going? Are you, you you're thinking of your own books? Uh, do you are you actively looking for shows? Um, no, I mean I've shown a little of the work here, uh, but really in quite uninteresting exhibitions in their way, like group exhibitions where you're just swamped with <laughs> work. I always think in terms of books. But I've never published a book before. And part of that comes from, I didn't really want the New York work to be the first thing I put out for some reason, because I was, I've always had a hard time with street photography. I actually kind of despise most street photography <laughs> in its way. Actually, I read that um, you've, you've lost interest in it in particular because of the way people are now only interacting with their devices as opposed to each other on the street. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of generalizing, but definitely the landscape of the city has changed so much. And it's not that I want that I wanted the city to stay one way, but I just find that gesture repeatedly um, kind of uninteresting. I mean, of course, you can make pictures of anything. You can make interesting, lasting photographs of people looking at cell phones. But it was also, it was, I was coming to the end of my time in New York. I, you know, the expense of New York, you know, I loved living in the city, but I was there 20, almost 25 years exactly. And it was time to go. And I'm sorry to say it. I, 
I don't know where else in the United States I would I could live. So that's where you know. You've done a, a bit of traveling, and, and some of that is on your website. Um, mm-hmm. Notes from the Road is a whole sort of subsection of photographs from your travels, things like that. Um, yeah. Do you feel like you were you were sort of like called to get out of the United States? Is it, do you do you find cultural something uh, uh, less or more interesting culturally that that sort of pulled you out? Um, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to define. Um, I mean, on my website, just to be clear, I have two sections that have different projects in. One is notes from home and one is notes from the road. And the reason why I make that distinction is not solely because it's travel, but because I never wanted to be a photographer that had to leave home to make pictures. So my whole time I was in New York, even the few years where I started traveling really heavily and I would spend three or six months out of the country at times, um, when I was home, I was, I was making pictures there and I like, I kind of need photography to be a little woven into my daily life. I'm not someone who I've worked with photographers as a printmaker, people like Gilles Perez who conceives of a project and then goes and does it, or he gets an assignment and he goes and does it. And usually it takes him very far away from home. I, I found that kind of approach to working would not it couldn't sustain with me because I needed to be a daily practice. You know, Tom was a prime example because he's basically, he went to Sicily, but other than that, he's barely left Brooklyn for mm-hmm. 40 years. And I find that, inter, you know, interweaving photography just into your daily life where it's almost invisible to your daily life is more interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that's in part how you... um you know, you figured out, you made sure you figured out a schedule, right? Where you, you mm-hmm. have children, you have a family, you have a life, but it's, it's, not, it's not separate from being a photographer. It's, it's all there in your house and you have a, a schedule that works for you. Right. Yeah, yeah I, it, like I said, I, I, I don't quite know what to do with myself if I'm not interacting with photography in one way or another. That's not to say that I couldn't live without photography. Of course I could, but it's it's made my life interesting and i want to cont- <laughs> i want my life to continue to be interesting so how are um how are you know sort of sales and things like that from your blog do you are you finding uh, an audience are you finding uh, you know um is do you think your other activities your other work has given you a little more name awareness uh yeah, I mean, my my friends here in Europe say they all know me from writing. So, uh, like I saw, it sounds like name dropping, but he's just a guy, a photo book guy. But like Martin Parr, I saw at an opening, and he said, "Oh, I noticed you're not writing your blog very much anymore. What have you been doing with yourself?" And I said, "Well, you know, I've just been photographing." And he said, "Oh, you know, you're making, you're giving it a go at being a photographer now." <laughs> it's like. <laughs> I guess that kind of just cancels out the first 24 <laughs> years of my life. But, you know. Yeah, I guess it's all so, a matter of when people have come to know you. Well, exactly. And it's it's the internet thing because the blog became quite popular and then errata editions became, you know, po- popular in its way. What's nice now is that people are kind of recognizing my photographs. I just did a talk in Bristol where 
at a photo book festival, which I've never published my own photo book, but they had me talk about my own work. And it was really, it was really fun and interesting. And I was surprised really at the reaction that, um, that people were quite pleased to see what I've been doing as a photographer. But that's fantastic. But yeah, I, yeah, different people know me for different things. I mean, I I just see myself as a photographer. I'm embarrassed to say I'm a writer because real writing stuff that I read, mm-hmm. uh, I could never do. You know, I have this one little thing that I can most of the time figure out the right order of the words in. Um, but other than that, <laughs> you know, do you have a dog? <laughs> No, it's our neighbor. <laughs> well, I think you I think you undersell yourself a little bit on the writing. I think you write very well. Thanks. I mean, as far as you mentioned you mentioned sales, like I sell my prints. I I have orders trickle in. It's not like I try and not get too bummed out that I'm offering very inexpensive <laughs> copies of my work. But the people that order them often come back and they order other prints and so you know, I, I barely make a living doing anything that I do. Right. But, you know, like when I was in New York, when I started worrying about money, I never made it. And when I stopped worrying about <laughs> money, it just would come in. Yeah, I think that I think that's true. I think if you if you can sort of uh, let go of some of that anxiety and really pursue what you're interested in doing, you know, you, you kind of figure out a way. And I mean, you're speaking to someone who's never really made any money any serious money in photography and, and, you know, mm-hmm. I support myself through teaching. Um, have, have you ever considered that teaching? Well, I, I taught for, Oh, you did dozen, at, at ICP, right? Years at, at ICP. That's right. Um, mostly photo ones, which were my absolute favorite class mm-hmm. to teach photo ones, twos, and sometimes photo threes. And then I would teach these technical courses for their full-time students, but those were always a nightmare. <laughs> Your full-time <laughs> students never did any work. <laughs> I had like I've had you know people taking one of my night classes like like a grandmother that you know to, and and they produce more work maybe the work isn't great but they they work and they're mm-hmm. really excited I like to see people get excited by photography which is why photo ones are so yeah amazing at least for me that that's one of the things I do love about teaching at, at community college is you get very non traditional students and. Uh, people on their kind of second lives and things like that. And you do, you get a lot of enthusiasm and uh, a lot yeah. of passion for it. Yeah, absolutely. What about uh, in Germany? Do you, have you thought about teaching there? Yeah, I mean, again, um, language. I, I, enough people speak English that I probably could mm-hmm. um, if I could find the venue to teach. Right. Um, there are a couple places, but I'm not very well connected here at the moment. So, How long have you been there now? Uh, three years, oh, a little over three years. That's not that long. For some reason, I don't no, know why I, I thought you were there. You've been there longer. No, it's been well. In November, I'll be coming up on my fourth year, so it's probably three and a half years or so. Where did you meet your wife? Uh, she's a bookseller. She's a she works for a company called Walter Koenig Bookshops, which is in Europe, basically the best art bookshop hmm. in all of Europe. It was founded in the late 60s by this guy, Walter Koenig, and he knew Cologne is a real hotbed of German contemporary art. And um, yeah, he had, I think it's one of the very first art dedicated bookshops, um, at least in Germany it is. And it's been going, they have a publishing company which publishes really amazing books. 
but she, yeah, she was working in the shop and I'm a, I'm a book guy. So <laughs> I, I got introduced to her from a friend. I was looking for certain books and she helped me. And then we, yeah, just I, after a couple of years of me traveling to Cologne and seeing her and everything, we finally had lunch and talk serious. Have you ever uh, considered a graduate school or anything like that? Even a, an MFA in writing or something? No, I mean, as far as photography is concerned, MF, MFA programs, I always wanted to have three reasons to do it. And one of the reasons couldn't be to teach. Okay, so I, I, as much as my work progressed, I saw a progression in what I was doing. So, yeah, I wasn't ready to go back into the school environment. I'm not sure... It probably would have. It probably would help. I don't. I'm. I'm not certain. But I just felt as though it was kind of an unnecessary step. And you know, I'd been sustaining my work and doing printmaking to make most of my living. And the way I did printmaking is I would only have to work like two days a week to pay my bills. So I had the time to photograph. Uh, I had, money really wasn't that much of a concern the picture was kind of complete. I was just working and trying to figure out what the next steps were more than thinking, do I need to, what can I learn from graduate school? You know, mm -hmm. I don't know. What were your reasons for going to graduate school? I wanted to teach. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That really was it. <laughs> and here, um, you know, to, to land a full-time gig, you really do need your graduate degree. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I, I, you know, I did a little day play substitute work at SVA and things, but most, you know, most real teaching positions, what I say in quotes, real teaching positions, you know, it's so competitive. And if you stay in New York or in the New Jersey area, I'm sure it's, it's crazy. I mean, how many positions are there? And MFA students are pouring out of schools left and right. It's tough. Really so, tough. Yeah. I got, I got pretty lucky. Did you know I was down at, at Mercer County Community College? I've known that for a while, but you've been there five years? Or oh, my God. Years? I've been there 10 years. Oh, man. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, that's great. Every once in a while, I get a, a student over from the Cherry Hill area. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. which is where your, your family's from, yes? Well, my family was from Medford, which is about oh, okay. 20 minutes, maybe half hour from Cherry Hill. But Cherry Hill is like, I always said... You know, my my parents are in Medford, and they would people would look at me blankly, and I'd say it's kind of near Cherry Hill, and they would they would go, oh yeah, I've heard of Cherry Hill. So so now you're um it's it's evening over there, yes? Uh, it's me? yeah, it's coming on nine o'clock here. So okay, but you're getting ready to do some work in the dark room. I think you told me that you have this. That's part of your schedule at night. You head to the dark room. Yeah, I mean tonight I'll probably just do some scanning or something, but. Mm -hmm. um, because it's half, like if I'm doing work prints, usually I'm just doing, I'm just scanning. Right. I don't really do RC work prints anymore. But but you still um, fully photograph film, right? I think you're still shooting with a Leica? Uh, I'm actually shooting with this big bulky Mamiya press camera. Oh, wow. Um, when I moved to Germany, part of my, I kind of put the Leicas away. I wanted to use a different tool. So I thought I would try and use large format. Mm -hmm. And 4x5 was out because I don't really like the 4x5 frame. I want the 1 to 1 and a half ratio, right. which would mean a 5x7 camera, more or less. I looked into 5x7 and I calculated the cost and it was going to be something like 6 euros a sheet, which is like $8 or something <laughs> a sheet. And I just couldn't justify it. So I stepped down to the 6x9 
medium format. And and this is that, I, that big sort of a blocky camera with the giant yeah, finder on top. It's and, like you're holding an old gigantic transistor radio. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, I wanted something that felt new or awkward, mm. foreign, maybe. Just to kind of, you know, you use the same camera, it just becomes an extension of your your reflexes and things. I wanted to kind of, since I had moved to a new place and when I was starting new work, I also wanted to try and use new tools and to step up the format, looking around and what the early things that I was drawn to seemed to kind of invite that different description. So I settled on the Mimia Press and sometimes I use this Fuji camera. A Fuji um, 6 by 9 Yeah. Yeah, I, I had that. That that's um I, to describe it for people who don't know, it's it's it has a, the nickname Texas Leica because it's yeah it's a it's a large plastic body. It really is nothing like a Leica, but it's but it has that shape. Yeah, and it's it's the same principle where it's the rangefinder like that. But I prefer the Mimia camera just because well I don't know it just it feels nice. It's so awkward. That's interesting. You you wanted something you said foreign. So you, really, what you're doing is you're trying to sort of shake up your perceptions in a way, or, or trying to yeah, shake up what remind, you do. Remind to be reminded again that I'm you know that I'm photographing. It, it sounds really silly when you throw it into words, but I think it has influenced the pictures uh, in a positive way. So yeah, I've been working with that. So has there ever been a a project or an idea where you've been tempted to try something digitally? I would love to shoot digitally. I mean, you know, when I hear people like Alex Soth, who's using these Hasselblad cameras, um, these digital Hasselblad cameras, he says he feels he gets 8x10 format quality from these Hasselblad cameras. I would love, but they're $10,000 or something. <laughs> they're like, it's just cost prohibitive. I have no special hold on film. I shoot film. I mean, I, I do like the process still. You know, most people fall out of love with developing film. I still kind of like developing film. Um, but printing and everything, if I move, if I did have the money to move digitally, I probably would. I would, I don't like the way the cameras look and I've held one and it feels, it's something that would be quite weird to get used to, those Hasselblad things. But, and then outputting, how do you print what you're doing? Do I just have a lab do it or do I relearn and buy a really expensive printer or something like this? It's like, there's too much investment that I can't handle. Yeah, and so, that, that's why I phrase it in terms of having an idea in place where you, you think it might serve you better, as opposed to just doing it because you want to do it, right? The, the idea that, that is there, you know, is it, is it something that um, calls for it where maybe uh, shooting film would be some kind of hindrance or something like that? Yeah, I, I don't know how to say it other than I do have a digital camera. I have an old Canon 20D. Okay? So it was, it's, it's perfectly fine for me making snapshots and what I think are sketches. I, um, I do shoot a lot of digital now, and I find that the, the full-frame cameras, the full-frame DSLRs, do give me the quality and the look that I was getting with my 6x9 format yeah. as well. And because, because I shoot color mostly, I think that's the sure. reason. I think the quality of color you know, has come a long way and, and is enough for me to, to have switched from uh, film to, to digital. But if I were shooting a black and white project or, a f you know, a format like, like using the Panorama or something like that, I would go back to film in a heartbeat. Right, right. The, the difference for me 
just between the two is I find that I do work a little bit different. You know, when you shoot a digital picture, usually like, you know, you see professional photographers, they're immediately looking at the yeah. results on this little screen. I have the tendency to do that. I want to see the results. So there's, um, I think it can hinder you because you, you see maybe what you expect instead of being surprised. So it's like it confirms that you got it or something like yes. that. Whereas when I'm shooting with film, I'll shoot the hell out of something. I'm, you know, trying many different variations. I think it pushes me to try more variations because I do find that it might be the fourth or fifth frame into some exploration of something that turns out to be the image that I choose to print. Right. I, I absolutely will not delete something until I can see it blown up. You know. Well, this is the other tendency that people have is just this instant editing thing, which is quite silly because you have a card that can hold yeah, you know, right. enormous amounts of information. Why not just rifle through it later? Exactly. Um, exactly. But yeah, I would, I, I'd totally love to explore digital. Just can't do it at the moment. So, so what's coming up for you? What are you uh, working on? What do you, what's, what's in the future? Yeah, again, like working on this language project a little bit. I've been photographing my daughters. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> just working. I'm not, one thing that you should know is I'm not really an ideas guy. Mm -hmm. Like, I kind of stum, I work along and I kind of stumble into things. I'm not, you know, this is something that was kind of Tom's influence, I think, like to be very distrustful. But then again, the time that I had his class, which was 89 or so, I mean, if you look at what photography was then, it was like if you went to a museum or something, you weren't really seeing people working in the vein that I was trying to work in. You saw like Cindy Sherman or Laurie Simmons and all of these people that is very idea-based. And my question, and maybe Tom's question, is like, when is a thought experiment become art? When is a concept become art? When is it just illustration? and all of this other stuff. So I've been weary of the big ideas. And it's something that even with younger photographers now, I'll see books that are, it's basically like the title and the idea doesn't really even need to be, uh, the title says everything. The, the book doesn't really need to exist <laughs> other than in concept. Right. So, so I'm always kind of fighting with when is something just an illustration of an idea and when does it transcend that idea? Well, I think that's the difference between working on a, a conceptual idea and working on a project, right? Project in the sense that we work on projects is, you know, you're thinking about a, a neighborhood and you're, you're reacting to architecture and you're, mm -hmm. you know, you're reacting to a place or a situation without, without a whole lot of preconceived notions. I mean, it's a, kind of right. the opposite of a concept in some ways. Right. Yeah. And you're talking about avoiding sort of a, a theoretical conceptual ideas before you get there in a sense. Yeah. I, again, I've tried to, I've had ideas and, but it seems like when I start working on them, I'm kind of stuck with the same thing. I'm stuck within that idea and it never really kind of moves beyond that. So I lose interest in it. I kind of, it's a kind of dangerous way to work because you, you can kind of just keep meandering from one thing to the next where you have these projects that are still open and ongoing and other things that feel very finished. You know, much of the world as far as like being a career, having a career as an artist, people kind of like to see cut and dry projects, things that are suitable for an exhibition, suitable for a book. 
And yeah, I don't work that way. I just, things develop over a long period of time. I've had this conversation. Other photographers, uh, sometimes sometimes you don't know when to end it. Uh, sometimes mm. you, you can go too long. Sometimes you can work a long time and end up not being that interested in the end. Right. Something. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, it's a, it is a dangerous way to work. Uh, and then also could be very rewarding. Way I mean, work. I find it extremely rewarding, but in terms of, I've never had a real career as a, as a photographer. Like I can't sustain myself as a photographer. Right. I never wanted to do editorial work or any of mm -hmm. that stuff. So I did printing and a bit of teaching everything. I did as little work as possible so that I could have as much time to make pictures. And I've had a lot of shows. I've been included in a lot of shows, sure. and a lot of group exhibitions and things, and some in really amazing places with amazing people. And, and you're in some nice collections. I'm in a few really nice collections. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I don't have a career like, uh, like a Roe Etheridge has a career, like some, some art star. But then again, I'm not certain I'm the kind of person that could handle that. Like if all of a sudden, you know, you had what happened to like Alex Soth, happened to me, I think it would probably destroy me more yeah. than benefit. Because of uh, the spotlight or because Yeah, of... I, I like to work quietly, you know. When I wrote my blog, my name wasn't on it. I, my brother used to, my brother who works in New Jersey, he, uh, he was always bitching and complaining to me, like, why don't you link your website to your blog <laughs> and to the errata editions and everything? And I was like, I just keep it. I'm kind of shooting myself in the foot <laughs> return because I get things that become popular, but they're not, they're kind of, I keep them separate. You know, mm -hmm. I wrote my blog under my cat's name. It was a pseudonym. <laughs> so, and it wasn't until people down the road, like Alec wrote about my blog and he actually wrote about my photography. Um, which was which was quite nice, but Alex Soth, yeah, yes. that he yeah. he basically brought me out in a way. Mm -hmm. He outed me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for being in the spotlight for this for a little while. Oh, I appreciate you you asking. And so, yeah, we'll we will link to uh, your website, which it does have your name, so that's not a, a secret. And right. then that your website uh, also links to all your other projects now, right? Yeah. And, uh, I've taken my brother's advice. Yes. <laughs> well, thanks again. No, thanks, Michael. Well, thanks again for listening. Be sure to check out thephotoshow.org. The photo show is all one word, where you can find images and links to the guests that we've had so far, as well as other ways to listen and follow the show. Bye. Bye. <laughs>